Attention listeners, do you ever find yourself struggling to decide what to watch on a Saturday night when you're in the mood for horror? Or perhaps you're trying to round out your own horror film education. In either case, I'm sure you'll be able to make some great discoveries in my 10x10 horror watch list, featuring a breakdown of the 10 favorite horror movies from 10 renowned horror directors. We did a deep dive of the favorite horror movies from directors including Guillermo del Toro, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, James Gunn, Rob Zombie, Martin Scorsese, and many, many more. Here you'll find a collection of each director's favorite horror movies, along with quotes about what they appreciated about the films, all in an easy-to-reference PDF that you can download absolutely free. Featuring a mix of well-worn classics and deep cuts, hopefully you'll discover some overlooked gems and look at old classics through new lenses. Download the 10x10 Horror Watch List for free by visiting nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. That's nicktaylor.com slash horrorguide. One last thing before we begin, and this is my email newsletter, The Howl. The Howl is a monthly rundown of the latest horror news along with my hand-picked movie recommendations, updates from the show, and cool stuff I've recently discovered, all in one quick read email delivered to your inbox only once a month. Easy to read, easy to sign up for, and easy to cancel. Join the Howl newsletter by visiting nicktaylor.com slash the Howl. That's nicktaylor.com slash the Howl. Hey guys, Nick Taylor here, mixing it up once again. Today, we will not be talking about horror filmmaking, but rather horror-centric entrepreneurship for a new segment I'm calling Horror Business. In addition to horror directors, I'm going to experiment with having conversations with people who own and operate horror-centric businesses. To kick things off, I think there is no bigger or better or more epic example of a horror-centric business than my favorite water brand and, frankly, one of my favorite brands of all time, Liquid Death. So this interview with Mike Cesario, founder and CEO of Liquid Death, is a little old. I did it back in 2021 for a marketing podcast, so a couple little details might be outdated, but overall, I really enjoy the hell out of this interview and uh, hope you do too. Gets into Mike's origin story and the founding of Liquid Death, so please enjoy. Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show, Horror Business. Mike Cesario is the CEO and founder of Liquid Death, an outrageous new canned water brand with quality mountain water engineered to murder your thirst. Liquid Death has made a name for itself as an extremely disruptive force of marketing, and to be honest, the brand's outlandish marketing stunts are almost as refreshing as the water itself. To date, the brand has convinced 180,000 people to sell them their souls, has cursed its water with a real witch, and performed a reverse exorcism with an accredited warlock who allegedly put demons into the water. Customers who purchased during this time period were entitled to a coupon for $1 off any exorcism. Yes, this is all real. 
Recently, to further raise awareness of plastic pollution in the oceans, Liquid Death released a series of plush marine animal child toys that were bloodied and choked with plastic garbage. Additionally, as you can imagine, this is a brand whose unholy approach to marketing inspires a lot of controversy and a lot of hate, which is why Liquid Death took their favorite angry online comments and turned them into lyrics on their very own death metal album. In addition to their marketing, I'm personally a huge fan of their water, and four cases just arrived on my door today. I recommend the sparkling. Liquid Death also has a very compelling mission, which is to eradicate the overuse of plastic bottles. According to their website, the average aluminum can contains over 70% recycled material, whereby the average plastic bottle contains only 3%. Additionally, aluminum cans are infinitely recyclable, and this stat blew my mind. Of all the aluminum produced since 1888, over 75% of it is still in current use. Plastic, on the other hand, technically isn't even really that recyclable in the first place. It costs so much money to melt it down, which is what sends a lot of plastic into landfills and into the ocean. It's extremely heartbreaking. The planet has been overrun by plastic pollution, and Liquid Death is here to do something about it, which is why 10% of profits from every can sold helps kill plastic pollution. Prior to founding Liquid Death, Mike worked in marketing with companies like VaynerMedia and worked on multiple viral promotions for Netflix on series like House of Cards, Strange things and narcos the entrepreneurial origin story behind liquid death is extremely inspirational and a real testament to how putting passion fun and your own personality into a brand can make it a formidable game changer we get into all of this on this very special episode of damn good brands origin stories now without further ado here is mike cesario ceo and founder of liquid death all right mike cesario how's it going how's it going Pretty good, pretty good. It's good to see you, man. I uh, I have to admit, I'm a really, really big fan of Liquid Death, and I feel like an actual fan, not just like a consumer of the product, not just like a loyal customer, but the, your brand causes fandom, and I can't think of another water brand or any other food or beverage brand that does kind of have that effect. I mean, people are getting Liquid Death tattoos. You guys have clothing lines. In terms of the the fandom that this brand essentially commands, I mean, how how did you possibly build something that's so ano- anomalous but is causing such a a positive and kind of rabid fan base? I mean, what do you attribute that to? I mean, it's it's funny. I think it seems like such a you know magical. How did you think of this thing? But I think the reality is, it's like if you just step away from package goods industry and look at other like what are what are typically things that have crazy fandom yep like bands you know like people go to the grave with their favorite album they buy the shirts they wait in line for the tickets you know movies like people are obsessed with movies they'll wait in line they'll buy the costumes they'll do the whatever and all of those things tend to be created by creative people Mm -hmm. you know there's not like guys with mbas figuring out all right how do we create a band you know know, that or you don't really have guys with mbas being like all right what's the best way to that we're going to write a script for a hit movie that becomes everyone's favorite movie it's like those things are created by creative people which will naturally create more fandom because it's 
more like art mm -hmm. than it is just like corporate commerce. Yeah. That then becomes a byproduct of it when you build the fandom. It's like Metallica or, you know, Billie Eilish, like she recorded an album in her living room mm -hmm. and it was dark and it was like her own thing and her brother's kind of a genius. And it's like, then once they made their product and their thing and their brand, the money people came in and figured out how to really leverage it into right. like a worldwide thing. And it's like, that stuff's been going on for years. I think it just has like, nobody thinks in packaged goods that way because in packaged goods, typically most companies are created by business minded people, right. like literally people with MBAs who understand finance and all of that. They are typically the folks who start companies from nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and deal with it and then they create the product and the brand early and then you know through supply chain and, and having a good product it, it gets traction then usually later on when they have money they hire creative agencies and things to help them make their product cooler or more relevant right. or or whatever um so i think that was the difference with liquid death was just like we approach like i'm a creative person at heart more i'm not like a finance person and i think everything we created about the brand from the early days was the same way that like you would build a band almost it was right. like what's the like what do we care about what do we hate what do we like you know what's the shit that we're tired of like what's this and it's like we built this thing it was more like a, a band but rather than selling music we were selling something that everybody wants which right. is water yeah and and I think like that's a thing that even when I worked in the agency world that we would tell brands all the time, especially in today's age, you know, brands have to be so much more than like the liquid that you sell. It's yeah. like the reason someone buys this and it's, it's pure, I mean, plenty of data showing that like 98% of decisions are emotional decisions, not mm -hmm. rational decisions. And it's like, imagine if, but still in the CPG world, they all market very rationally. These are the features of our product that make it better than the next product, right? Right, pH levels. pH levels or electrolytes or price. Imagine if like Metallica marketed their albums. We use these guitars and these <laughs> amplifiers and our CD is a dollar cheaper than the other metal CDs. <laughs> it's you like, don't see that working out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's just, yeah, it's just like if you're truly making a lifestyle brand, it's like, get a really good look at what are actual lifestyle brands, which are bands and movies and franchises and things that people are just like, there's crazy fandom around and just how, how can you, you know, create your brand more like those brands create mm -hmm. theirs, you know? Yeah. Like, like a, using a band again, as an example, it's like a band's main product that they make is music. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, but they make t-shirts and it's like, people don't say, well, you're a music company. Why would you ever make t-shirts? You're supposed to make music. Well, it all goes together. Like if, if someone loves your music, they want to represent to other people that they like your brand. Right. And if you make really fucking cool t-shirts, you're going to actually sell a lot of t-shirts. And now it's like, you might have someone who never heard the band that's going to buy the t-shirt first. Cause it's a cool t-shirt. Right. And then now they almost feel like they're forced to like the band because they're wearing the t-shirt and they'll like come into the brand that way. So 
kind of the same thing with us. It's like, we might have some people that before they ever drink a liquid death, they see someone wearing a liquid death t-shirt and they go buy the t-shirt first. And then the next time they're in a store that carries liquid death and they see it, probably way higher chance that they're going to then convert into a customer. Yeah, they for sure. Have the shirt, you know? Yeah. And then it just, and it, and it helps us. It's like, you know, merch and clothing is profitable marketing. It's like mm-hmm. we have walking billboards of people all over the place, just like a band would. And we're not paying for that. We're actually making money off of that. Right. And, and the more that you can have marketing that actually generates revenue, it means you can do lots more of it than most people can who just have to eat money every time they're trying to get the awareness out there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing to me that, I mean, you guys seem to be also a formidable merchandising company. I mean, I'm on your email list. I'm always getting notifications when there's a new limited edition t-shirt or, you know, nobody's wearing Evian t-shirts. Nobody would be really excited about a Fiji trucker hat, but here you guys are putting out limited edition stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's really extraordinary. I think I read in a previous interview you did that you'd cited Travis Scott as a, as an inspiration. Is that accurate? Um, I didn't really cite him as an inspiration. I think I just used him as an example of, you know, somebody who has created this like loyal fandom of people and, you know, that he's selling them, you know, I think it was McDonald's did like the partnership with him where they made, you know, Travis Scott McDonald's merch that sold out, Right. you know, and it's not because people love McDonald's. It's because people love Travis Scott and it's this weird thing that is collectible and it's like kind of unexpected. So yeah, like people want that. I think there's like a lot of collector culture going on now where it's like everything with the NFTs and trading cards are now like back in a crazy way. Yeah, somehow. Yeah. So it's like, I think smart brands, they're always, you know, tapping into like what's going on in modern culture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's like, Hey, you know, if trading cards are a cool thing, it's like, if liquid death makes trading cards, like what, what would those look like? How are they? And it's not just about, you know, what we, or at least the way we think about it. It's like, we don't just do something to do it. It's like, if you're going to do it, the only way it's worth doing is if you're taking it seriously. Right. It's like, okay, if you're going to make a trading card thing, don't just like put out just some bullshit thing because you can say you made a trading card. It's like, no, you should make something that is cooler than almost any other new trading card thing that's being done. Mm-hmm. What's how high is that bar really? And what is the idea or concept or execution need to be? Yeah. So that when you do it, it's like, Oh my God, did you see those trading cards that liquid death put out? You know, it's like, that's, that's always our goal. It's like, if we're going to make t-shirts, we're not just going to stick our logo on a shirt and call it a day. No. It's like, no, we want to work with artists and make shirts that are just as cool as a Metallica shirt or a Travis Scott shirt or, or whatever shirt. Yeah. Cause you're competing with other companies that exactly. are not in your, that are not in your vertical. So to speak, you're basically right. like competing with bands. You're competing with skate culture. You're competing with people and, and entities and companies that would not be considered competitors. You know, you're just competing yeah. for you're, culture you're, share. Yeah, I mean, you're competing against everything else in that person's closet. Yeah, exactly. because if they're buying your shirt, it means like they want to wear this 
over something else, you know, yeah. it's like they need to have this. So it's like, yeah, it's like, it, yeah, everything you do, you have to be, you know, realistic about how high the bar really is and where, what the other competition really is. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're making apparel, you're now in the apparel business. Yeah. Essentially, you know, if you're, if you're going to really do it, otherwise it just becomes this throwaway thing that no one really spends money on, but you know, you can give it to them for free. They'll wear it when they're painting the house. Right. It's not like <laughs> they're lining up to like, uh, spend 30 bucks on a t-shirt when you drop something new, you know? Right. Now it's a huge mindset shift for, for brands, particularly in packaged goods. You know, this idea of competing with other elements of culture and not just competitive products. I mean, I, I feel like right. it's, it's, it's a huge, huge concept. And I think one of the other things that you'd mentioned before is that a lot of brands kind of get trapped in 1950s style marketing and these kind of unwritten rules of, of branding and you guys just completely fly in the face of it. And it is so unbelievably refreshing, you know, just to see branding that is this cinematic and this insane and this just completely unadulterated, unfiltered. You can just tell it is so just kind of straight from the, from, from the mind of, you, you know, it all just feel, it didn't feel like it went through a boardroom. It didn't feel like there were dozens of meetings. It was like, let's do this. We're doing this and it's going to be hard and it's going to be loud and it's going to be powerful. I mean, it's, it's extremely refreshing. Man. I mean, it's, I, th I feel like you guys are going to open the floodgates for a lot of more expressive brands, you know, that are more themselves and kind of are able to put their culture forward, if that makes sense. No, I appreciate that. I mean, it's, I think what's what's happening is, you know, with technology and the internet and social media, like most areas of things, including music, it's like the creation of new businesses, which a band is a business too, mm -hmm. um, is becoming democratized. You know, yeah. it used to be if you were a band, the only way you're getting your music out to 20 million people is through physical stores that have distributors that are tied in with giant studios and record companies, and they control the gates of who right. gets in or who goes out. Right now it's like, you can put a YouTube video up and if people love your song, you're famous tomorrow. Yeah. You know? And it's like, and you now have the power to like home recording gear. Like you can just record. I mean, the five Grammy winning album was recorded in a bedroom for right. Billie Eilish. You know, it's like, I think the same thing is sort of happening with products and you know, that's part of what I like to try to inspire other people to do is like, don't think that only, you know, business people are supposed to start companies. Right. You know, it's like, you're a creative skateboarder. Like you can make something that's not just a skateboard company. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, you might have an idea for something that's like a crazy water. Like, what do you hate in the world and what could be made better? Yeah. Like, well, I don't know. I hate that this thing is always like this. Well, okay, find a way to, to make it better. And um, with the resources of the internet, it's like, you can look up. Like for me, it's like when I was trying to figure, I didn't know how to make liquid death. I had the idea for canned water. Yeah. But it was a lot of Google to figure out Bottle, like water bottling facilities. Yeah. Like you start there and then it's like, you call these guys up. Hey, I want to put water in cans. Oh yeah. We can't do that. It's not possible. Why not? Well, because of X, Y, and Z and this, this, and this. And then it's like, okay. Then you start learning more and learning more until you eventually find 
the way to produce it, but it was all done on Google or wow. LinkedIn. Like you can reach out to people who, oh, I can see someone who's the founder of this other canned water company or something and if, or, or whatever. And like, you can cold email them and say, hey, trying to start a company. I wonder if you could give me some insight. And a lot of people are willing to like help other people out, especially yeah. people who have already been successful. And yeah, all of a sudden, like you now can figure out how to make, how to produce something or even how to raise money for something, you know, like the Kickstarters and GoFundMe, mm -hmm. you can literally make a thing and it, you might actually be able to get people to want to invest in your idea. So yeah, yeah I, I think it's uh, the days of the big companies, the companies that own everything were created by the old school business people and they've become the behemoths and the whole companies are structured with that sort of DNA. Right. It is the boardroom. Like the guys who make the final decisions of what marketing actually gets made and what marketing doesn't get made are you business people, mm -hmm. you know, and that's always going to filter the level of creativity that they can do because right. it's only as good as the top decision maker. You can have the most creative people working on the lower levels, but if the top business guy makes the final decision, doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's so archaic, but I feel like it is starting to crumble for sure. And I definitely want to talk about Liquid Death's marketing, but could we, and I know this is probably a big question, but uh, do you mind just giving us just a rundown of the origin of Liquid Death? Like, how did you go from idea to getting the first batch made? And now here you guys are entering 7-Eleven. Could you just walk us through the origin story of the brand? Yeah, so... I was working for an advertising agency in Chattanooga, Tennessee called Humanot. Mm -hmm. And it was a nine person startup agency. A guy I, I used to work with in Colorado started it. I came down there um, to help, you know, kind of help him sort of be like creative director for the agency. And we ended up doing a bunch of work for the organic industry. Um, and we did some of the first like funny advertising for like organic stuff because organic stuff was really like, family farms and sunsetting <laughs> over cows and stuff right, like that. Right. And we kind of did this really funny campaign called save the bros um, for this organic. I remember shit. that. <laughs> really? You were behind that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think for me that, you know, I'd always been into health. Like I, mean, I grew up playing in, you know, punk bands and in that culture, like there's tons of people who are vegan and vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Like most of the main big vegan restaurants in LA were started by punk rock tattooed people. Yeah. Um, so that was always such a big part of that culture, even in like the late nineties. So I was always into health and I was vegetarian for a long time. And like, I, I didn't drink soda for a decade, you know, but at the time it was like all the big energy drink companies like monster, Red Bull, Mountain Dew, Rockstar, they were the ones who were owning the counterculture. Right. Because at the time, nobody else wanted to touch it. It was like skateboarding and like it was like cheap media for these um, energy drink companies back in the day. So it was like all of a sudden it's like these super unhealthy things that none of these bands were actually really drinking. It mm -hmm. was just like they were they were the they were just the only products that were offering them huge checks. And it's right. like they need to make money. They need to eat. They wanted to live their passion. I was like, fuck it. If, this, you know, 
energy drink company wants to write us an $80,000 check, then like, sure. Yeah. We're going to take that. Yeah. But they're not actually drinking it. Um, so I've always kind of thought that was messed up and I'm like, why isn't it that health, like only the unhealthy brands do all the cool, hilarious marketing, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the funniest ad campaigns of the last 10 years that most people can remember are like Bud Light, Dos Equis, Skittles, Doritos, Snickers, Red Bull, you know, it's all junk food. Um, so then when we started doing stuff for the organic industry, that was like part of our ethos too. It's like, Hey, if you want people to start eating healthier and more organic, like the brands should start doing marketing that can actually compete with all the bad stuff. You know, yeah. it's like all these explosions and fireworks and comedy over here. And then you've got like quiet little, you know, thing over here. It's like, <laughs> it's only talking to such a narrow audience. You're never going to get that mainstream adoption until you get more personalities of people excited about that category. Yeah. Um, so doing a lot of that, you know, I just kind of started thinking of some of my own, you know, ideas. Cause I'd always sort of been an entrepreneurial kind of guy. And then, yeah, started developing this idea for canned water. And um, the idea being like all the cool beverages come in cans, tall boys of beer, yep. energy drinks, sodas, like all of that. Um, and then it was like, once we had learned more about cans that like, they're actually infinitely recyclable mm-hmm. and they're actually the only things that actually get recycled. Like when you send plastic to a recycling facility, it doesn't actually get recycled. Right. They send it to a landfill because they go out of business trying to recycle it because it has no value once they recycle it. Yeah. So then it was like, oh, wow, this all kind of fits together now. It's like, it's health. You know, we have like, you know, a more sustainable option than plastic that mm-hmm. is something we need. And it's like, let's build a brand around it that not only can compete with the cool branding of energy drinks and, and all of that, but actually one ups it and makes that stuff seem like corporate yeah. BS, you know? Um, so part of the thinking was like, okay, well, energy drinks have all these bright colors and things. And it's sort of like they're marketing it to like teens, but like 17 year olds don't think monster is really cool, but 12 year olds do. Right. You know? It's like, you always have to market to like the, the next group up to really get the group that you're going for. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're like, okay, well, how do we make it? Our brand seem like it's not even for teenagers. It's for people in their twenties. Well, let's make it look like beer, something that you're legally not even supposed to have. And that's going to create this fun factor of like walking around with it because like right. it feels from a design perspective, like something that you shouldn't have. And it's like, that's been around for decades, like candy cigarettes, like oh, yeah. big league chew. You know, it's all like now, this is actually healthy. You know, it's water. It's like, wow, if if you can use design aesthetic, like beer can't own the color gold. Right. It can't own a typography. You know, it's like if you can use design to completely change the experience of holding something and walking around with it, like that's something special, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how the idea was born. And then we designed a can like using Photoshop, a uh, buddy of mine helped me, helped me with it, but I was an art director for a while. So I know Photoshop pretty well. We designed a can 
we, you know, I wrote a script for a funny, you know, YouTube commercial idea, which was the one with the girls waterboarding. The oh, nice. With the water. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I worked in advertising. So a buddy of mine was a producer. Like I was like, Hey, let's, let's shoot this video kind of as a side funny thing. It might like blow up on the internet. And we were able to shoot the thing for like 1500 bucks. Whoa. Um, and like a thousand of that, I think went to like the, the woman who was our actress. Like, it was just like, we had a funny idea. And if you have a really funny idea, when you talk to the camera guy, he's like, Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I want to be involved in that. I want to shoot that. Like, I won't even charge you. It's only going to be a one day thing. And it's like calling a favor to, Hey, our, our friends have a little startup company in downtown LA and they have an office. They said we can go shoot in their office for free if we want. It's like, okay, cool. So it's like, you just kind of cobble this thing together, shot this thing. And then we knew that nobody was going to give me money for the idea of liquid death mm-hmm. on its own. Okay. You know, it's like, Hey, I have, I want to make this water brand in a can called liquid death. That looks like beer. Do you want to give me $50,000? And it's like, no, you're not ever, like, that's <laughs> never going to work, you know? So I knew that we had to prove out the viability first. Right. So it was like, we had this 3d can, we had this commercial, um, we've made a Facebook page, no Instagram, no YouTube, um, just Facebook, put the video up there, made a couple funny social posts, just like little Photoshoppy funny things. And we put a little bit of paid media behind the posts and the video. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe over the course of like four months, we maybe spent like, I don't know, like two grand or three grand or something in paid media over like three or four months. Just testing the response. To, yeah, yeah. Just to kind of like start the fire. Right. To see it spreads. And then, yeah, like four months later, the video has three million views. I think the page had 70,000 followers, which was more followers than Aquafina had Whoa. at the time. And we were getting all these direct messages from people who were like 7-Eleven franchisee saying, hey, I own three stores. How do I get this in my stores? Wow. Or it was like distributors like, hey, we're big geyser in New York City. We're the biggest non-out distributor. How do we talk to a salesperson? They all are coming you know? to you. And you didn't even have a product yet at this point. No product, no. Wow. So Just- then I took all of that and made a really nice deck to then go actually raise money. Now people will take you seriously because you've done the work to kind of prove out viability and de-risk it a little bit. Right. You know? It's like, hey, look, in four months with almost no money, here's what we've achieved. We're even having distributors hit us up. You know, 7-Eleven people hit us up. Like, you look at all these comments of people being like, this is the greatest thing ever. How do I buy this? How do I buy this? You right. And then, and then, yeah, then basically we raised like a small, you know, friends and family round of, of, of capital. Mostly it was like former advertising bosses of mine that mm-hmm. like understood marketing and what we were doing and what, why this was going to be so disruptive um, just to get enough cash to actually make physical product. Cause with cans, the minimums are really high. Mm-hmm. So it's like, unless you've got like 150 grand or so, you can't even start the game, you know? It's not like you can make little handmade brownies or something and right. sell them out of your garage. It's like, no, 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 you got to kind of commit. So once we were able to get physical cans, um, it all of a sudden became a lot more real, meaning like 
with that Facebook page, so many people thought, oh, that's funny, but it's not a real thing. Mm -hmm. That that, would be cool if that was real. So then when we had real cans, it's like, whoa, this thing doesn't look like it's supposed to exist. How the hell is this like a thing? Um, it just got people a lot more excited. And we we met our, our other VC um, backer called Science Inc. They were a big part of Dollar Shave Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they really looked for like these strong disruptive brands that are trying to kind of disrupt like a, a giant stale category. Yeah. Um, so then we got them on board. They really helped us like dial in all of our D to C stuff, like our website and how to look at D to C because we knew we were only going to sell on the internet at first because mm-hmm. there wasn't going to be many retail buyers who were going to put death on the shelf right. just yet, you know? So then, yeah, it's like then a few months after that, um, we launched our liquiddeath.com and then we also launched on Amazon and that was like late January of 2019. So it's been just over two years that we've been actually selling product. Mm-hmm. But we had launched the initial Facebook page probably a year before we ever sold product. Because it just took way longer than we thought to actually get the stuff produced. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually it did. And then, yeah, it's just kind of been like just hockey stick growth from when we've actually launched it. Um, and, you know, so much of it is like we, we from the very inception of this, we baked in organic shareability. Right. It was like from the name to the design of the can to everything, we knew that our only chance at surviving was it had to be something that people took their phones out and took a photo of, or it was fun to like be taking a photo of drinking it. Like oh, yeah. it had to be very social. Um, and that sort of is what enabled us to just like kind of go, go bananas out of the gate. And then, once we were just growing like crazy online and then it started getting picked up, picked up in the press and, you know, big podcasts, like, um, the guys from Barstool just randomly picked it up, like found it. And it was like in the, literally the episode title of the, of the podcast was like LeBron James doing something, something, something. And we're all in on liquid death, you know? Whoa. And it was just like, it just started like really like and then news stations were picking it up and like, is this okay? It's called liquid <laughs> death, but it's water. Like it, it became this whole thing. Like Bill Maher did a thing on uh, his uh, new rules about it. Like new water brand liquid death is taking an unnecessarily aggressive approach to water. <laughs> you know, it just kind of then started taking off. And then it was finally, we started getting, you know, the attention of like the retailers who are like now once they start seeing dollar signs right they're willing to kind of like abandon their religion a little bit death on the shelves yeah it's like once you realize like hey nobody's going to be protesting in your parking lot because of this (laughs) you know in fact like you'd be surprised that like the soccer moms that shop at your store actually think this is the coolest thing ever right their kids love it and kids love it, right, and all that and all that good stuff. So then, yeah, we kind of started easing our way into retail. You know, we were selling into a lot of bars and clubs before COVID happened because mm-hmm. it's, like, such the perfect thing for, like, if you're, if you're in a party situation, way better to have this tall boy of water than, like, right. a plastic bottle of water. Um, and then once COVID kind of hit and all the bars went away, like, we just sort of, you know, really started focusing even more heavily on the retail partners we had. Like we had just launched 
we launched Whole Foods National was our first big retail account, which literally launched the week that the quarantine started, it was like March 15th last year. And, you know, even though we launched in the middle of a pandemic with a brand called Liquid Death, <laughs> like it still didn't offend people. And our sales in 7-Eleven were, or sorry, in uh, Whole Foods were like growing like crazy. And I think the reason is like, in a pandemic where everywhere you look is like depressing, scary shit, mm-hmm. something funny, people like gravitate towards. Totally. You know? It's like, and you're stuck in your house. You're just so, it's like, oh, this is a funny, exciting thing. Like I want to put this in my social feed oh, yeah. and try to like ease the mood versus like talking about more crazy, you know, COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. So in a way, like we've had this insane growth even during the COVID year. And I think it's because like being a comedy based brand, people were just levitating towards, you know, just things that were funny that, that don't make you as scared yeah. about everything else. And it's comedy in such an unexpected place. Just nobody would expect this from expected. a water brand. Yeah. Right. It just right. packs such a punch out of nowhere. Um, I follow your guys's marketing and everything you guys do. I just always can't help but think these guys must be having so much fun. So from what I understand, 40,000 people have sold you their souls. 185,000. Oh my God. My stat was way off. 180,000 yeah. <laughs> people have sold their souls yeah. to liquid death. Um, you guys did a metal album where you took all of the greatest, like mean tweets that were sent at you and you actually put them in a yeah. metal album. The stuffed animals was probably one of my favorites where you guys had the stuffed animals of Marine. Oh, cutie Paludis. Yeah. Cutie Paludis. Yeah. Of uh, <laughs> marine animals who were victims of straws and other plastic elements of plastic right. waste. I think my other favorite was when you guys cursed the water and then put demons in it. Uh, um, yeah. Any repercussions from that? Anybody reporting any paranormal activity or demonic activity? Oh, because yeah, no. right. then you followed it up with a free exorcism. Right. Yeah. And it was crazy how many people went through the whole checkout process just to download the free exorcism, <laughs> like JPEG, basically. <laughs> so cool. So yeah. cool. Well, what is the brainstorming process like for you guys when you're approaching any sort of marketing campaign? I read a quote from you where you would say you begin ideas with what is the dumbest thing we could possibly do? So could you walk yeah. us through what the brainstorming process is like for these marketing stunts that you guys do? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of it. It's like we always... It, there was, there's this guy, uh, he was a famous designer. His name's John Bielenberg. And he had this book called Think Wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was like this kind of whole approach to creativity of, you know, our brains are so hardwired to like repeat things that we've seen before. Yeah. And it's really hard to get your brain out of that thinking to truly think about an innovative thing that's never been done or thought of. Yeah. So his kind of, you know, philosophy is that like, you sort of have to trick your brain to get to that territory. So Mm -hmm. it's like, by thinking, what is the dumbest thing we can do? Like your brain's going to immediately just start thinking of things that are more innovative than if you try to start thinking, what's the, what's the smartest thing we could do? You know, you just start thinking about, you know, other things, but when it's like, what's the dumbest thing we could do? It's like, I don't know, get a clown to ride a racing motorcycle through 
you know, a plate glass, you know, and then it's like, yeah. okay, now all of a sudden your brain is going into like innovative territory. Now you're getting somewhere. Now you're getting somewhere. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, we, we work with, um, you know, various creative partners, like, you know, me coming from the agency world, like so many of my super talented creative friends have started their own little like boutique agencies. And like, what's nice is like, because it's sort of like liquid death in a way is sort of like the dream of every advertising creative, because like, you're just so tired of having clients just kill all the cool ideas. Yeah. Force you to do like the bullshit thing. And it's like, for the first time ever, it's like the creative have become the client. So we decide what we do and don't do. And agencies and people who are trying to get great stuff for their portfolios and reels know that if they work with liquid death, like we're going to make something cool. Like yeah. we're not going to make you do some bullshit thing that you don't even want to put in your portfolio or whatever, right. you know? So we just have a lot of people that really want to work with us and, and, it's a great kind of position to be in to just have a great pool of talent because you know it's not like me myself i'm going to come up with every single idea um every day but right. it's like what's interesting though is when we work with agencies it's a very different relationship than anything they're used to because they're used to a client that has no creativity right they're the creative partner or risk averse this it's like we've got you know writers who are like creators of adult swim TV show writers. Oh yeah. Mr. Pickles. It can come up with ideas. We've got, yeah, Mr. Pickles, right. We've got actual musicians signed to like huge punk labels that work for the company. So when we're going to make an album, we have our own resources to do it better than any agency is going to do it. Or when we have to write some hilarious script or something, we've got a lot of talent here that can do it maybe even at a higher level than what some agency might be able to afford to put their junior level guy on. You know? Right. So it's, it's a lot more of a collaboration where, you know, they're coming up with ideas. We're kind of coming up with ideas. They're writing stuff. We're writing stuff. Like it's way more of like a, a partnership to yeah. come up with whatever that final sort of thing is. And it sounds like a lot of your creative partners are in house. Yeah. So like, for instance, like we have like a lifestyle marketing team that's like, people who are well-connected in the world of punk rock, yeah. hip hop and action sports and all of that. And, you know, a lot of them used to be former pro skateboarders, former pro snowboarders. Some of them are still playing in like signed punk bands mm -hmm. and they're just ultra connected in their world. So it's like, even if they're not the one, they're like one phone call away from the guy we need to do the thing we need to do. Right. You know? Right. Cool. So last few, um, just kind of quick, rapid fire questions. I mean, throughout the course of getting this company off of the ground, what was the best entrepreneurial advice you got and what was the worst? Because I'm sure you had a lot of people telling you that this was a terrible idea and it wouldn't work. And I mean, here you are. But oh, yeah. were there oh, yeah. any good words of wisdom that were really helpful for you? I mean, you cited that book as being you know really formidable for your, I, for your marketing. But anything else? I think, yeah, I think the best piece of advice. And, and I feel like I've heard it a bunch of different places. So I don't know if I could attribute it to any one person, but this idea that if you're going to build a successful company from nothing, it has to be something that is so uniquely you 
like as a person, like you have to like care about this thing, know more about this thing than anybody else to even have a shot. Um, and I think that really was like the, the magic of this is like every part of this brand has been my own personality and, and likes and, and all of that stuff like put into one. It's like, you know, I grew up playing in punk and metal bands and like, I love stand up comedy and I had a marketing career. So I know about marketing and branding and it's like all that together makes this unique thing that I can do probably better than most other people. Yeah. And that's why that's a big reason why it, it, it's been so successful. I think there's a lot of people that try to chase something because of margins right. or because of like a trend, like, Oh, hard seltzer. It's everywhere. We got to come up with one. You know, it's <laughs> like, and it's like, you're trying, you're just kind of chasing money, but like, you don't actually have like the real, like the passion or magic that makes this thing special, you know? Yeah. And then I think the worst advice I got, I, I won't say who it was from, but you know, one of my former bosses I had gone to, um, to try to see if they wanted to put in money early, like early on, it was just the seed. I had the idea, you know, this, the social stuff was going and, you know, this was kind of like a famous person actually. And, you know, showed him the idea and he's like, yeah, this is really cool. But he's like, look, trust me, you do not want to start a company. What you want to do is like license this to monster, you know, like that's, that's what you want to do. Like you don't want to build a company, just like license this thing and make it easy and be, be out of it. That was always kind of like, no, I, I kind of do want to build a company and like a really cool one. That's the one that like, I've always wanted to work at. Yeah. You know? And you know, they ultimately like never actually put in money because like, you know, they were investing in these other things that, you know, were kind of like chasing margin. You know, it's like, Hey, we invest in these other things that make a ton of margin, but it's like, yeah, but what's the thing, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad I didn't kind of take that advice and go that road that I did stay fast to like my convictions of like, I believe this can be a big thing and there's, there's a need for it. And, um, yeah, I was, I was excited to actually build a company and a culture and all of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, from this, from the overall origin story, it sounds like things just picked up in a, in a real way and it sounded like a pretty straight trajectory, but were there any major moments of doubt or any dark nights of the soul where you were wondering, like, is this ever going to get off the ground? Yeah. In the very, very early days, the first thing I launched before we even did the Facebook page was uh, an Indiegogo crowdfunding page. So okay. that commercial, the original thing was supposed to be a crowdfunding commercial. And we did an Indiegogo page, didn't get any money, nothing. Like it was like 20 bucks or something. Oh, wow. I mean, it was literally like nothing. Um, so I was like, that was like a huge bummer in the beginning. I was like, man, fuck. But then it's like, the more I thought about it, it was like, okay, with these crowdfunding things, when someone's trying to build some remote control drone, <laughs> people are willing to wait months right. to get the thing and put in money early, but nobody's waiting months for a case of water. Right. <laughs> you know, it was just like, 
ah, this doesn't seem like it's going to be even a real thing. And you know, do I really want to put in, you know, 20 bucks and wait a long time to get, you know, a 12 pack of water. Like it just, it didn't work in that medium, yeah. you know? And it was, it, it was this huge bummer. Like I was just so sure that, oh, this video is going to be hilarious. We're going to raise all this money. It didn't raise anything. So that, that was a huge blow. And then I even had people telling me, like even people who now are C-level people for my company that I knew then were like, well, maybe, man, like maybe the video, that waterboarding was just too much for people, man. Like maybe like it's just, uh, you just rub people the wrong way. It wasn't the right thing. I'm like, I don't think that's what it is. So then we pivoted and said, all right, I'm going to put the video on Facebook now. And I'm going to like make this feel like a real thing on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It, because I think when you think it's a real thing, the perception is different than a crowdfunding thing when you know it's not right. A it's, it's probably like, different oh, for you just, too. Yeah, different. For, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then and yeah, so yeah, that was uh, you know, the next couple of months were sort of like that. I didn't know if this was you know going to go anywhere or not. Like, was it just going to be that? That yeah, was a funny video we made, and that sort of was the end of it. Um, but yeah, like once you put it in that context, like it's a real thing, and make people think it's real then it really started like picking up at least traction, even though we weren't selling it. Right. We were still getting all these people following it and wanting to know more and all of that. And that was just like a way smarter approach to take with it. Super cool. So what is next for Liquid Death, both in terms of new products, new merchandise, new initiatives? What's uh, on the horizon for you guys? I mean, lots of stuff. Um, you know, some of it I, I can't share yet, but I mean, you know, we've you know we're partnering with netflix on a really cool thing that we're gonna do um we're doing um you know all kinds of new merch like you know it's crazy like we have these things they're like little (laughs) uh stands that like light up oh that's awesome and like we originally made these for bars so it's like you put that on the back bar right. and light it up and it's like this cool thing. But after COVID, um, we had a bunch of these left and I was like, well, let's just try to sell them in the merch store, but they're expensive. I don't think anyone's going to buy them. I think we were selling them for like 40 bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. They sold out in like two hours Whoa. at like 40 bucks. And we called them like liquid death nightlights. Oh, wow. <laughs> for those listening, so, this was a nightlight of a can of liquid death in a coffin. Yeah, little little twelve inch tall like coffin with a can in it, and, and it lights up. And uh, so yeah, I think it started making us think about like the types of merch that we could make and that people will be willing to buy. It's not just t shirts. Like yeah, you know, it might be something cool that you put around the house and you're willing to spend a little more on it if if, if it's cool. So yeah, we're just thinking about all kinds of uh, you know different different avenues for for merch ideas and things like that beyond just like the standard t-shirt and hoodie kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely be looking out for it. Well, Mike, huge congratulations on all this and uh, really, really great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Any uh, parting wisdom or advice for those aspiring entrepreneurs out there? Um, I mean, I would kind of say what we've been talking about. It's like, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are under this impression that all you have to do is come up with a great idea and then you just can 
get a bunch of people to give you money to make your idea. But that's not the case anymore. It's like, you have to figure out how to make the thing, even if at a small level, improve first that people want it and that it's viable. Mm -hmm. And then it's way easier to get people to give you money. I think there's a lot of people that just like, they make the idea and then they get discouraged when nobody's going to hand the money just for the idea. Yeah, And it's like, well, I couldn't raise money. Well, maybe if you just like find like a cheap way to like prove it in a small way, like you'll get so much further than everybody else. You know, that's yeah. what makes a lot of sense. Mike, thank you again. This was awesome. All right, so much to learn from this conversation. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Mike. Number one, throw the rules away. The world of branding is silently governed by a list of archaic rules that dictate what you can and can't do. If you want a groundbreaking brand, it's time to stop playing by these rules. During his advertising years, Mike asked himself why product brands, specifically CPG brands, had to play by these bland and boring 1950s rules, which entertainment brands were never at the mercy of. As a result, Liquid Death's marketing is brash, violent, foul-mouthed, and extremely controversial, but as a result, it has a rabid fan base because it is fun as hell. So whether you're starting a new brand or want to do something different with an existing one, consider throwing out the puritanical rule book that's been governing the world of CPG for decades and do something new. Number two, ideas don't sell, proof sells. After coming up with the idea of Liquid Death, instead of running straight towards investors, Mike decided to prove the product's viability in a low-risk manner and produced a commercial for the product before it even existed. The commercial was completely insane, but it became instantly viral, and Mike set up a Facebook page to gauge further interest and found that there was a serious amount of demand for his product that didn't even exist yet. He was even pitched by stores like 7-Eleven. Mike then took all of this data, made a pitch deck, and was off to the races with investors. Had Mike walked into a boardroom with the idea for a mountain water with unnecessarily aggressive branding called Liquid Death, he probably would have been laughed out of the room. But by showing the serious amount of interest in the product, he de-risked the project and proved its viability. The public is dying for products as outlandish as Liquid Death, but you need to prove them before you can expect to get any investors interested. Number three, compete within your culture, not your industry. One of the fascinating things about Liquid Death as a brand is how loyal the fans are, and particularly how much merchandise they're selling. Posters, hats, sweatpants, limited edition t-shirts fly off the shelves because the company is more than just a water brand, it's a lifestyle. But it became that by taking a cue from other industries like music, movies, and art instead of trying to play by the rules within its own vertical. By doing that, it achieved complete icon status. And as a brand, it competes with entertainment properties because their marketing is always so hilarious and so insane and so damn funny. And I'm always on the lookout for what they're going to do next. This makes them a formidable entertainment brand as well. Had they done an elaborate audit on what other brands in the water industry were doing and tried to compete by playing within their own space, the brand never would have had the impact that it did. So think outside of the box that your brand has put you in because that's the key to transcendent and compelling branding that enables truly loyal fans. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor and on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. 
We scare because we care. Hey guys, one last thing before you head off, and this is The Howl. How would you like a monthly newsletter featuring a recap of the latest horror news, my personal movie recommendations, updates from the show, and cool stuff I've recently discovered? If this sounds like something you'd enjoy, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Howl, today. You can sign up for The Howl by visiting nicktaylor.com slash thehowl. That's nicktaylor.com slash thehowl. Howl.